0: You're listening to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill.
1: I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host for Food for the Future. Today we return to the monthly series, Back to the Future, in which we discuss the renewed interest in traditional food, farming, and natural resource preservation. Today we're speaking with Dave Bolton, past board chair for the Middlesex Federation of Agriculture, about some of the pressures that farmers face. Welcome, Dave. Thank you. Really glad to have you here, Dave. Dave, can you tell us about the Middlesex Federation of Agriculture, what it is, and who its members are?
0: Yes, um, the Middlesex Federation was formed, well, over 100 years ago now, um basically we were formed as a lobby group and and uh the middlesex federation is a a county organization which is an offshoot of the ontario federation of Agriculture. like i say we were formed as a lobby group originally but now we've kind of morphed into a, an education and promotion more of a group and and leave our uh lobbying to the provincial body so we have about uh between 1800 and 1900 members in middlesex county and uh, there's a board of directors and and we get together, do some business and and try to promote agriculture.
1: Really great network, 1800, wow, that's a lot for Middlesex and uh, over a hundred years of uh, knowledge and commitment to each other. That's really, really great. Dave, one of the things I'd like to talk about today, uh, food costs are on the rise, it's on many people's minds, Um, but what does all of this mean for the farmer? What are some of the agri-food pressures that are creating some of these additional expenses?
0: I, I admit that uh, um, food prices and, and consumer prices are going up, but typically that doesn't filter down to the farm level. Uh, it's kind of a, an in-between, but there are, are costs that, that we share as producers and as well as retailers. And that would be fuel costs, uh, labor shortages, which is across the board. There was a bit of a drought in 21. Um, it was more Western than Ontario, but uh, it still a, a created an, an issue. Um, the dollar, between uh, Canadian and and US. um, It can work for you and against you, depending whether you're importing or exporting. So it's kind of a a question mark spot, whether it has directly impacted our food costs. But of course, anything that's imported certainly costs more because of our weaker dollar, but anything that we export helps us. So um, there's still issues with crossing the border with produce and just plain trucking issues with crossing the border. And, and certainly COVID still creates issues on both sides of the border for production, for for transportation, for retail across the board. And, and that's the case, whether it's it's in, in manufacturing or growing crops or anywhere in between. Growth population helps us in the, in the aspect that it can create some help, but it also creates more demand and more demand typically impacts prices, specifically meat prices. Yes, they've increased, the way farming works, it's it's kind of a, a price take thing, but uh, meat prices are are up across the board, which in in essence is reflected on some of our other costs and inputs that we have to deal
1: with. Okay, so a lot of the same pressures that households are experiencing themselves, we're all paying a little bit more at the gas pump, fuel is up. But I want to pick up on something you mentioned, Dave, is that we're experiencing higher food prices in the grocery store for all of these input pressures, but that doesn't mean farmers are making more money, that they're um, they're not necessarily selling an apple for more dollars because uh, those prices went up. So there's a lot of uh, pressures uh, that you mentioned there, Dave, that the environment places on, on what goes into food costs. And... Dave, you've been a farmer your whole life, you're as hands-on as it gets in terms of the knowledge that is acquired in doing something. It's not what you can find in books and it's not necessarily what other people are offering a a spectator's viewpoint on, it's the real hands-on. And what could help keep production costs and consumer food prices under control from a farmer's perspective?
0: Part of the problem is, is the number of hands that are involved between production and actually getting it in the consumer's hands. And and if we can eliminate some of those, then then I think there's um, a the product it gets to the consumer faster, so I think it's better and fresher, and it should cost less money. Um, it it may not always be quite as convenient. It may not be quite as available at certain times of the year, but uh, um, and somewhat you can stockpile, but some produce of course you can't. But uh, um, when when it's available locally, um, it it goes big time to uh, support local producers and local uh, companies, local people to, to
1: buy local. That's, I think that's a really good point because the more that we seek out by local, we know it's local because we're aware of where it came from, but what it does is it helps the farmer have a bit of prediction on, well, how much can I actually produce for this particular area? What's my capacity for for other uh, ways to uh, make sure everybody's getting all the delicious food that farmers are making? So that's a really good point and an economic um, benefit that we don't talk about a lot when we talk about local food. And um, I'm wondering how often and how much do agricultural markets change?
0: Agricultural markets, it's a commodity and basically it's built off of the Chicago Board of Trade. So it changes minute by minute, but uh, um, depending on weather influences, supply and demand, um, worldwide political influences, it, it can change drastically from day to day but there is a, a limit on how much it can change on on each of the commodities. So the way farmers work is they produce the product and, and they're told how much they're gonna get for the product. So um, in, in essence, we're price takers. And lots of times when we put our, our seed in the ground, we have no idea what uh, our income is gonna be, whether it be bushels, price per bushel, price per ton, price per pound. We don't know that until until A, it's it's avail, uh, available for sale, or B, whether we can forward forecast and and hopefully block in a, a profit margin, but uh, it's it's yeah changes minute by minute.
1: So that's got to be very difficult. It's really really a lot of fluctuations. And you had mentioned the term Dave price taker. What does that
0: mean? Well, uh, I've heard the term before. Uh, farmers are buy retail, sell wholesale. I guess you could say is, is a term, that's mm-hmm. another term, but anyways, price taker, um, as, a, as an example, if you're a manufacturer and you build cars, and and so you figure out what it's gonna cost for your material, your labor, your building, and, and you decide how much you're gonna sell that car for, and you to, of course, you work in a, a profit margin. Well, with farmers, the we produce the product and then, um the the system the board of trade the the buyers tell us how much they're going to pay for it from their perspective and and we have to um if we're going to survive and we have to make profit so we have to produce efficiently enough to make a profit on what we're going to get but like like I said before um we don't know what that's going to be little things can can affect our market significantly little things like a weather related a drought even in, in South America can affect the price of products here because it's it's a worldwide commodity-based um, product and and it's uh, supply and demand, and, and yeah, like I say, we don't know what we're going to get.
1: Well, I'm just struck, Dave, as you're speaking, how the days of old McDonald's farm are long gone. Um, you know, we kind of have this uh, storybook version of what old McDonald's farm was like when I hear you talking about markets and global trade and how prices are set. and and to follow back to this price-taking is that you're right. This price-taking, it is the way that it is, but it's something to um, be sympathetic to the farmers about in that it's it's not easy work and it is long hours, but there's also this worry and concern. I mean, I guess farmers do get really good at it, looking at a number of factors and um, you know trying to decide, but there's lots of years there's surprises and they aren't always for the best. And being in a fluctuating market in a price-taking environment is, is really tough. Um, you had mentioned about some of the pressures in the last question that I asked you. What are some of the things today, and in looking into the next season, that are pressures that farmers are um, worried about right now?
0: Well, there's there's a number of of uh, issues there. Um, fuel price, which which the uh, everybody dealing with, fuel prices of for for our gas as your gas has gone from eighty cents to a dollar fifty. Well, the same things happen for farmers. Our our price has doubled for fuel. Um. Just as an example, I pull my combine up to the uh, fuel pump every other day, and I put a uh, thousand liters of diesel fuel in the thing. Well, double the price of that from one year to the next, and 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 put that into perspective. And that's only one object. Um, seed has gone up, and partially because the price of commodities have gone up, but it's also because the price of um, processing the seed has gone up with uh, labor rates and fuel transportation. And so on, and then uh, another big ticket item for for the farm community is the price of fertilizer. Um, yeah, it's it's affecting farming, the farm community, um, unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I can imagine, and. Um, I was thinking about when I was a kid, uh, there was Ross Daly on with this business of farming and some listeners may uh, remember that show. And my job was to write down what the commodities were so that when uh, my dad got home for lunch, he'd know what was corn, what was soybeans, whatever it was I was watching. And I'm staggered today how those prices are not that much higher than when I was watching those markets easily 40 years ago. So farmers have had to become incredibly efficient, incredibly astute, really know not only their commodity, but their their business and what what will what will go and how they'll make plans to weather things that um, we really need to thank the farmers for everything that they're doing, because it's it's not just hard work. There's a lot of stress. Uh, And that's going to bring us to the next part of the show, Dave, which uh, when we come back from break, we'll be talking with Dave Bolton, past chair of the Middlesex Federation of Agriculture, about stress and the next generation of farmer. This is Food for the Future, and I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist.
0: Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill.
1: Welcome back, I'm Peggy O'Neill. You're listening to Food for the Future. Dave Bolton with the Middlesex Federation of Agriculture is here to talk about pressures that farmers face. Dave, before the break, we talked about increasing food prices for consumers and the fluctuating costs that farmers have to Uh, endure and how they have to use their ingenuity to manage these things and it's stressful. So let's talk about stress and the next generation of farmer because they, they kind of go together. Farming has to be an appealing livelihood and way of life to keep our next generation of farmer but also farming has to be viable to have the next generation of farmers. So we talked about commodity based living being very unpredictable. And we laughed before the show that farmers are, you know, optimists, comedians, or gamblers, or, or all of the above. <laughs> and always thinking it's going to be better next year, but sometimes it's it's really tough. And can you talk about the stress that farmers experience?
0: Yeah, stress is different for, for the farming community versus, uh, um, I guess you could say, the rest of the world almost. Um, typically, we're kind of independent. We, we sit in a tractor or we work together and, and we have... Sometimes we have too much time to think, and and when you have too much time to think, it's it's not hard to come up with worst case scenarios rather than better case scenarios. So and and if you don't have somebody like even a co coworker in an office or something that at lunchtime that you can you can vent a little bit, it's it's challenging for farmers to have somebody to talk to that uh, um, can can have a a response that can help them out.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's just that social dimension of life, you know, the long hours. Um, and um, as you had said, there's long hours in the field or long hours in the barn and and just having that uh, just, just general camaraderie, but also someone to talk over if something's coming up or you're having a bad day. So the Ontario and Middlesex Federations of Agriculture are trying to help farmers manage stress. How are they doing that, Dave? Uh,
0: well, we, we've had a, a... A couple of uh, um, opportunities to to uh, promote um, farmer wellness through some um, webinars and so on. But recently, starting the first of the year, the OFA, thanks to some government funding from from all three levels of government, they've been able to set up a, a farmer wellness support line that's open 24 hours, seven days a week for farmers. But it, it's it's open so that it can involve the farm family mental issues affect more than just one person, it affects the whole family. So so that's available and, and it's it's easy to access through uh, the OFA website and other social media avenues. And it's also available in English and French because of the diversity of our province, we have particularly English and French that uh, uh, are farming. So.
1: Okay, so that's really great that um, the levels of government and the federations have worked together to provide some support. I'm sure it's very, very welcome and certainly needed Let's shift our focus, Dave, to the next generation of Ontario farmer. You had mentioned that it's not just one person that experiences um, feelings of overwhelm or um, a lot of pressure when things are going on in the in commodity based living as farming is with fluctuating markets, which we talked already about and in a price taking uh, product that's being produced. So it's going to be tough for the next generation to look ahead and think that it's a great livelihood or viable. And can you tell us a little bit about the demographic of the Ontario farmer today?
0: Yeah, the yeah uh, the the number of farmers in Ontario keeps going down, but the age of Ontario farmers keeps going up, and and it's in that fifty five uh, years old range right now. And uh, women make up roughly thirty percent of the Ontario farmer operators, which is a wonderful thing to see, um, and it's climbing. And then uh, there's the wage gap, um, gender equality, stuff like that. Uh, um, it does exist in rural Canada. And mm-hmm. and then we get to the multi generational It used to be the, the oldest son per se was handed the farm. Well, the oldest son now maybe doesn't want to farm. So that's changing more and more all the time. Um, um, you, you have to have kind of farming in your blood to uh, to really be very successful at it. And I'm not saying that you can't do it without things are changing, and, and traditions change, and and that's all good. Like we need to have people that want to do it. Um, it's, it's challenging to, to expand.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. And um, you had mentioned you just got to have farming in your blood because, you know, uh, we're, we're getting closer to the end of the show, and I'm hearing and, and remembering very well as a farm girl all of these pressures and living it and um, the ups and downs. But it's still nothing can be working the land. Nothing can be even stone picking in the spring. You know, the only for sure crop that won't fail is there'll be stones in the spring. And, you know, uh, watching the seasons change and having that first apple pie or the, that first sweet corn or, you know, your your Christmas ham, whatever it is, that there the rewards and, and the love of the land and, and just understanding animals and being able to, to work in nature. It's uh, it, it is a great reward and it is something that you do have to have in your blood and to willing to be willing to weather all of the other things that we talked about. Um, Dave, as farmers work with governments to help address the aging farmer and next generations, what can listeners do to help?
0: I think the best thing listeners can do is is educate themselves to what farmers are doing, and be involved. and And I'm not saying to get out and go picking stones. But to, to be involved in, in buying the product local and, and, and I it's, it's I wouldn't want to say that you need to influence them either. But you need to make, make the farmer and the producer know what you want to buy. And and um, farmers and, and the farming community are very adaptable. And uh, to, to support and, and work with local is the best that you can do. Yeah,
1: and uh, freshest. It's also something that the National Zero Waste Council has put out a report on food waste, and they also recommend to the degree possible, as local as you can keep it, is uh, is a really good idea so it sounds like everything's kind of pointing in the direction to um, support local farmers know where your food is coming from and also just to seek out the information you started the show saying that the Middlesex Federation of Agriculture really is a great educational resource um, to find out lots about farming concerns uh, but also what's happening are there any final thoughts you'd like to share Dave with listeners about the pressures that farmers face
0: I think the, the best thing you can do is be informed, but be, in, be informed by a credible uh, information avenue. And and just as an example, the, the and this is a little plug for the Children's Museum, but the Federation, the, the local surrounding federations are are um, supporting an agricultural area in the new Children's Museum that's gonna open in a year or two. And, and but things like that give credible information that's correct. And, and non-biased, and, and I, I think finding credible information and, and working with it is is about as good as you can do to help understand your as yourself and um, what pressures that the farmers are facing.
1: That's really good advice. I know sometimes even I can become anxious about something, you know, I, I hear it, see an article or hear something, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, about the food supply. And I just go to, like you had said, some of the credible places, so Middlesex Federation of Agriculture website, um, Canadian Centre for Food Integrity are starting to do some really great bridging work saying, you know, here's the facts of of whatever the item is as far as agri-food comes up. And I think there's something calming about getting the credible, reliable from the person, from the producers themselves, or from um, high quality research in that a lot of thought goes into farming every step of the way. And I think when that comes through, it is very calming. And also it helps us make really good decisions as opposed to emotional ones. So really, really, really good advice. Dave, our conversation has left me with a lot to think about, and uh, I love the family farm model, and I hope that this nation, and really the world, take steps to protect this way of life, not just for producers, but for all the consumers who enjoy food made with so much heart and soul. Thank you very much for sharing your expertise and being here today.
0: Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here.
1: Glad to have you, Dave. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking about the pressures that farmers face with Dave Bolton, past board chair of the Middlesex Federation of Agriculture. Each week we leave with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about? How can you support family farmers? Something to do? Google Middlesex Federation of Agriculture to find more issues and concerns that farmers have and for ways that you can help on their website. Next week on the show, we'll return to the series Food for Thought, in which we discuss big ideas about food in order to raise the conversation level and to find the way forward together. We'll be discussing dairy farming and innovations in milk with John Walker, Jr., third generation farmer and CEO of Walker Farms, Inc. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, home economist, and you've been listening to the weekly show Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum-level sponsors, Burnbrae Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980-CFPL
0: and 980-CFPL.ca.